0: Good morning. Welcome to Katusa First. We are glad to have you here. My name is Caleb, and I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we are a church that believes in serving our community, so we often say we are a community of servants that serve our community. We like to wear, work our way through a book of the Bible at a time, and we do that so we don't skip the hard stuff. A lot of times, people can grow up in the church and not be sure how to study the Bible on their own. They struggle because they have been just told one story after another. Maybe it's the story of David and Goliath or Moses, but they're not sure how all the pieces fit together. One of my goals is to help you be able to read your Bible on your own. One of the things that I learned from my father is why settle for the echo when you can hear the voice yourself? Why settle for just what I have to say when you can open up the Bible on your own and you can test and see if God is good. And allow the Spirit to work through His Word in your life. That being said, we have been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and find the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll turn there together. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be at verse 1. We'll wait for you. If you got it, would you say, I got it? All right, let's read together. Oh, come on, I'll give you a couple of minutes. This is, we'll take all, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, page 555 in my Bible, right? Does anybody else have that same page? Anybody else? What is yours? Yeah, we're way off, yeah. Okay. Okay. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For do they, not, they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words." When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the only one you must fear. So as we have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really a unique book. It's different, especially in Old Testament books. And it's a great place if you're not familiar with the Old Testament to start, because you're not going to get the history of Abraham or the nation of Israel. Uh, You're not going to get a lot of really difficult names to say or genealogies or anything like that. You're just kind of getting somebody's perspective of what it was like before they knew God, Right? Remember before you knew God, if you can, kind of think about what your, your thought life was like back then, where you would pursue money, or you would pursue this, or you would chase after that, and you're trying to remember what is the world like? Where is real meaning if you don't have God? Now, our best guess is this is written by King Solomon, who knows God, but he's writing without an eternal perspective. And this is the phrase that we see through Ecclesiastes all the time, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And that means to live life without an eternal perspective. And if you don't have an eternal perspective, we've learned over and over again that uh, you can't take anything with you. So to invest your life in getting money or fame, it's all vanity. Vanity is the word my translation used, but it really means like a mist, something that you think you can grab, but you can't. And so in order for life to have any meaning, you have to have an eternal perspective. And here, he kind of takes a break. He's going to pause for just a minute, and he begins to give some kind of advice on entering into the house of God. And that might confuse you, because for the most part, he's hardly mentioned God at all. In fact, there's very little even talk about God in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if he's writing without an eternal perspective— why is he talking about God? Well, he kind of will switch back and forth from that uh, without an eternal perspective, as though maybe there is a God, but does he even matter, to actually talking about God. He'll kind of go back and forth in his writing. But essentially, even though most of the book is the agnostic or, in our culture, it would just somebody who says they're spiritual. They don't go to church. They, they, they pray when they need something. And they would say, well, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual, right? He's, that's kind of the perspective that he's writing from. But even though he has that perspective, he is entrenched in an atmosphere that has people devoutly worshiping God. And there's going to be the temple. He's, he's aware of the temple, and he knows what the purpose and the meaning of the temple is. So what he's going to do is he's going to give us some sound advice on how to go into the temple of God. Uh, and one of the things that he says, verse 2, it says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are earth on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And if I could just sum it up this way, talk to God as though He is listening and listen to His word as though He is actually talking familiarity breeds contentment, doesn't it? You go to church week after week after week after week. It's a habit. It's it's something we do, and it's a good habit to have. But I would hope, and I want to encourage you, and we're going to use this as kind of a springboard for this this morning, to learn how to prepare your heart and mind to come to church and worship on Sunday morning. Because I don't want to waste your time, and you don't want to waste your time. And God wants to have a certain mindset when we come to this building. And not just this building, it's not like the building is something special, but when a community of believers gather together and we are going to open up His Word, I want us to have higher expectations than what we currently have. See, sometimes we, we set the bar really, really low of what we think God can do in our life on just a Sunday morning that he's not going to really challenge us or convict us or encourage us or maybe just pull back the veil just a little bit more to where we see him more fully and we leave here going, wow, he's bigger than I thought. But sometimes we set that bar a little low. How do we come to the house of God? Because he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Um. We prepare ourselves for certain things in life. Like if you're, if you're going to a funeral, you prepare your heart and mind, don't you? Like you, you know it's going to be a somber day. If you're going to a wedding, you put on certain clothes and you're going with excitement, right? Unless you're afraid you might have to dance later and you can't. And then you're a nervous wreck the whole time, right? Because what if someone asks you to dance? Wait, we're Baptist, so we didn't dance at our wedding anyways. Um, but there are certain things that you go to and you prepare yourself for. This last week, I went somewhere and I wasn't prepared. Uh, I went to the mall. And I hadn't been to the mall in a long time. I wasn't prepared for A, I thought I still was somewhat in touch with style. And then I see the younger kids there, and I might as well have been wearing like cargo pants with sandals and socks and a fanny pack, and right? My shirt tucked into my shorts. Like, I might as well have been dressed like my dad. <laughs> and because as I'm like, no, I still look cool, and I look in, and I'm just like, oh, no, I'm the old one now. And you go into the stores, and I'm like, oh, I won't pay this much for that. Where's, where's the discount? And I can't afford. And so I find myself at J.C. Penney's, where I used to, like, my parents, let's go to, I'm like, no, I can't go to J.C. Penney's, Right. And then I'm at the discount aisle at JCPenney's, and I'm like, I've turned into my parents. I wasn't prepared because things change and times change, and no matter how hard you try, you can't quite keep up with the times. But we also have to prepare ourselves when we come to church. One of the ways we do that isn't when we come to church on Sundays. In fact, most of the preparation for getting ready for Sunday does not happen on Sunday. I would say one of the things that I have found really important in my life is develop a habit of practicing the supremacy of God on a regular basis. Now, that sounds like a lot of fancy words, so how do I do that? How do you begin to practice developing like a concept of just the bigness of God on a regular basis? It's a really, really simple thing that we have in our house. The worst word my children could say is, oh, my God. That is the worst phrase. Like, they're looking at me right now like shocked. That I, like, you can't say that. And they might hear, you know, if we're watching TV or something like that, there might be a word that comes on and, and we'll have to tell them, hey, that is not a good word. You can't repeat that. But they will come and let me know if a show they were watching had that word on. Because we have ingrained it into their heads That even though everywhere else in culture, that is a throwaway phase. Isn't it? It's just a constant. Kids TV, like cartoons now, have that in there. And it's just a throwaway phrase. But at our house, I want the name of God. That's how I begin prayers. That's the name I called on for salvation. So I want to have the name of God as the most pure name in my home. Now, that's just a small little thing. In fact, uh, we'll have company over every now and then, and not everybody knows the rules of our house, and I don't expect them to, but I love watching my children correct adults. (laughs) They'll say it, and they're like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope, that's a bad, bad word, right? And that's good, because all we are doing is elevating the holiness of God in our home. Do you know that Jewish people... um, in the days of the Old Testament, usually the intertestamental period uh, between the the first and second, um, they would, when they were writing the name of Yahweh, the unique name of God, they would write one letter. Then they would go down the hill and then they would cleanse themselves in the water, and then they would go back up before they would write another one. And after they wrote that letter, they would go down and they would wash themselves because they felt the name of God was so holy, they had to cleanse themselves before they could write another letter. It was a full-time job just to write that name, right? Just, okay, I got to go take a bath again, right? And then they come back up and then they would write another one. Because they value the name of God so highly, it affected their day-to-day life. In fact, it's very common today to see an Orthodox Jew, if he is writing something that has the word God in it, and he'll do G, and he'll do like a dash, and then a D. He won't write the O. He just doesn't want to write the full name of God just because they consider it holy and reverent. Our culture, and sometimes if, so like you're born into whatever like whatever environment, young people, you don't realize what the world has changed over the last 30 years, because you're born right now. Like, this is your environment. So you fit in. And you wonder why your parents would be like, I can't believe they allow this on TV. I can't believe. You wonder why. It's because the world is rapidly changing. How far has it changed where we once had a time where the name of God was so holy you had to bathe after writing just one letter to where now the most common profanity or expression is, oh my God. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's everywhere, all day, children, TV shows, adults, everywhere. That's how far we come where the holy name of God, the one we call on for salvation, the one we call when we pray. I begin my prayers with Heavenly Father, or dear God. I don't want to take that and throw it in the mud. Okay, so that's just one example. Let me get to some Scripture here. Um, Scripture has some wise advice for how to behave when we gather together and there is a really thin balance I want us to walk in the church there's a really thin balance because oftentimes I'll say the church is a playground you'll see the kids run around the church you see them run up here and we all love seeing the kids active in the church and so I'll say the church exists for them it's a playground But there is also a sense where maybe we've gone too far that way because we might not teach the holiness and reverence of God in the church. Maybe some of you, maybe you grew up Catholic or maybe uh, you grew up uh, in a very orthodox church. But there are churches that have in the building itself cues and signs to help you understand the bigness of God, right? Big stained glass with these beautiful pictures and the light shining in, maybe is swinging, you know, there's burning. and uh, There's all these different things churches can do to try to help people feel like, oh my gosh, today we are going into the presence of God. Well, I think that balance is hard to walk because we as Bible-believing Christians Christians know that we are the temple and that this building is just bricks and mortar. It's just windows. But there should be a sense that when we come here, we have a way of preparing our hearts to receive something from God. I mean, His Word is being opened and up, and we are reading it. There are places that would give anything to be able to gather together with other Christians and read the word together as we do. So one of the ways that we here at this church prepare our hearts for the opening of God's word is we do that through the music. We sing songs to God as a method to prepare our hearts. Um, Hebrews 4.15 says this. You don't have to turn there. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, one of the things that it says is that we can approach the throne of God with confidence. Because we have a high priest who has been on earth, understands all of our struggles, yet he never sinned. I say this because when we come here, sometimes, I, how many of you have had a friend that said, oh, I'd love to come to church, but I would burst into flames as I walk through the door, right? I've heard that a bunch. Like, oh, I'd love to come to church, but, you know, if I walk in, you know, God's going to strike me down. And when I walk through, No. If I'm allowed, and y'all are allowed in here, then anybody is allowed in here. And we can not only come into the presence of God, but we can come with confidence. There's a song we sing sometimes, Boldly I come before your throne, that no matter what your weakness, looked like, no matter how many mistakes that you made, that you can come confidently to the throne of God. And if you come with this humble heart and a desire to talk with him, he is listening to you. See, one of the things that is great about coming to church is because some of you, you just had a rough week and you haven't even stopped to think about it yet. And then we sing these songs and we take that moment to pray and all of a sudden the emotions and all the stuff that's gone on, you just go, oh my gosh, I've totally forgotten to like, give this to you this week. And it's a chance for you to let go of the last week and to start fresh. You can come with confidence, even if you struggled immensely because you have a high priest that understands everything that you have gone through. How beautiful is that? Now, we can do music, and I can do a sermon, but a lot of this preparation for how God is going to work in your life when the saints gather together is not on me. It's, it's going to be on how you prepare your heart. Like I, I always try to go to bed at a good time on Saturday. Now I know this is my job, so I have to be fresh, right? The last, thing, whatever. Just turn to. Oh. What is it? Daniel, Daniel 5. Like if I was exhausted and stayed out late uh, every Saturday, that's what you're going to get. That's that's the level of enthusiasm you'll get from me. But I want to make sure that you get the best of me because I don't think it doesn't matter. I think it does matter. I think opening up the word of God and studying it is so important that I want to make sure my words are clear and I'm attentive. So one of the things that you can do, is get a good night's rest before you come to church. Psalms 100. Turn there with me. I love this Psalms. Psalms 100, verse 1. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, we enter His gates with thanksgiving and praise. We are your biggest cheerleaders. We are your biggest fans. I could brag on so many of you. I mean, just look at all the people that put in work, and it's back there in the fellowship hall too, and out there in the foyer, in the hallway, and upstairs. The rooms are decorated. All these people. I, I mean, we. I'm just so thankful for you, and this is the place where we come together, and we shouldn't be totally bummed out. Now, it's okay to be bummed out because you're going to have a rough time. There are really rough days. But when we come into the presence of God, we are not just bringing fake thankfulness and praise. Our thankfulness and praise is a reaction to his goodness. So no matter what has gone on in the last week, he hasn't stopped being good. He hasn't stopped being faithful. That's why it says his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations So I don't come and give thankfulness because I have a good week. I come and give my thankfulness and praise because his love has not stopped. Sometimes my faithfulness isn't enough. Sometimes my thankfulness isn't enough. It rarely is, right? I can't bring God, oh, I'm so thankful for you. It's, God, you are so worthy of worship and praise. You are so magnificent. So when we come here, we want to avoid the idea that we are. Um, let me see here how I can say this in nice ways. I can't. Okay, so um, a lot of times people will say, "You know, I just wasn't getting fed at that church. I wasn't getting fed." And sometimes it can be difficult because we have such a consumer mentality. We go to the restaurants that serve us, right? We have the friends that serve us. But the church is not a place for a consumer mentality. Now, if you say, well, I'm not being fed, if it's because the pastor isn't preaching the Bible. I get that. But if it's just like, you know, I've been there and the new pastor came. I, one of the things I admire about my good friend Dee Eslick, I love her. She was the secretary at the church where I was the youth pastor, No matter what pastor was there, she says, whether I like the pastor or not, I ain't going to let any pastor run me out of my church. (laughs) She would say, she says, because I'm not here for the pastor. I'm here to assemble with the saints of my community and to worship God. Pastors will come and go, right? And sometimes we can have a consumer mentality where we're like, well, I'm here for the pastor. You are here to praise God not the sermon. And the sermon is not always here to make you feel good or to get you over next week. It's not always inspirational. Five ways for a better life now. Step one, step two, step three. There are motivational speakers that are great at this stuff. What we do is we open up the word of God because to know God better is the point. His holiness, his goodness, his sanctification of the saints. That's what we want. And that is why we gather together. Uh, I am going to look what time we got. All right, let's do a couple more verses. James chapter 2. I know this is a little bit more um, Bible flipping than we normally do on a Sunday morning. Normally we're parked right there in one book. But I wanted to use what... Ecclesiastes was teaching us about being careful when we come into the presence of God as a kind of a launch pad for some of these ideas. James chapter 2, verse 1 My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention, To the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? So, one of the things, uh, there's a verse that says, Um, Like Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we don't forgive, then we start creating hierarchies, not only within our culture, but what happens is the sinfulness of the culture always tries to find its way into the church. And we can get really particular about the way people look. And one of the things that was happening in the early church, those who had the gold rings and looked good and had the places of honor in society also got the places of honor in the church. And here, we used to go, oh, you've got a really good business? You've got a place of honor in the church. That's not how this works. When we enter in through these doors, there is the great equalizer of our sinfulness. Every single one of you, no matter how successful or unsuccessful, needed a Savior, needed someone to pay the price on the cross for your sin. So it's beautiful how you could have the the president and some pauper walk into buildings, and they're going to get treated differently everywhere they go, but they come into a church, and that is the place where it ends, where it should be, shouldn't it? Oftentimes, the places of positions of of leadership within a church are given to those who are CEOs and good at this or good at that. And that might be great. They might be qualified for it. But just because you are qualified culturally does not mean you are qualified biblically. And so sometimes God uses those who are poor and uneducated in the world to shine the most light. And why is that? Because those people already know they don't know it all. I already know they don't know it all. So when we come into church, there is an attitude of humility. There should be an attitude of not just how I interact with each other, but when it comes and we open up the Word of God, I want to assume I don't know what God is going to say. This is hard for me. If I go hear another preacher, and he opens up, you know, I've preached through quite a few books of the Bible in my life. I'm only 43, 43? Yeah, 43. Uh, I forget. Um, I've preached through quite a few books of the Bible, and if I go to another church, and they're preaching a verse out of a book that I already preached, they go, I already know this one. I already know this. I know this one. I'm just going to turn this off real quick. I don't need to pay attention, right? And what I'm telling God is, God, you are so uncreative that you can't preach this same verse in a way that might actually affect me. Um, that's about a lot of ego and pride in, in thinking that, right? That you think God is so uncreative that the Holy Spirit can't use a verse you've already heard to inspire you in a new and fresh way. I've told, probably told the story before, but it's been long enough. Hopefully you've forgotten so it sounds new. <laughs> uh, when I was a youth pastor, one of my desires was, I used to, it was kind of like little inside joke, I said I wanted a purple hawk mohawk on the front row. I wanted a kid with a purple mohawk on the front row because that told me that I was doing my job right. That I was getting a kid that would not normally go to church to fall in love with God. That was what I was wanted. And the youth group grew, and we had uh, a lot of kids that didn't dress the way a traditional... like. So I grew up Southern Baptist, and um, the fact that I'm allowed to wear jeans right now instead of a suit shows how much has just changed in, in my culture. When I go to preach somewhere else, if I've never been to that church before, I will wear long sleeves because I never want what I have to get in the way of the message, right? I, I don't want to be that way. But what I have found is most people don't think of it that way anymore. That I, People have given me a lot of grace, and thank you for your grace that I draw on myself. Um, but we had a kid wearing a hat during worship, sitting there on the front row, and during like kind of the meet and greet time, I'm making my way to go say hi, and this lady comes, and she's just stomping down the aisle, and she goes, you see that boy with that hat? You ripped that hat off his head, or I'll go down there, and I'll do it myself. And I was like, what? You can't wear hats in church. Let me see. Yeah, not in there. Not in there. You can wear a hat. Now, I understand, culturally, she had been raised as a sign of honor and respect. We take our hats off when we pray. Is that a good thing? Is it good to teach honor and respect uh, to God? Absolutely. But here was this young boy who had no idea. This is probably his second time to church, and he's just trying to figure out when he stands up and sits down. He doesn't know what to do. Do, do I lift a hand? No, not, no, not here. No, okay. Um, Right? He's trying to figure out what to do. But we have to make sure that whatever cultural kind of habits that we've created, we don't put them on the next generation unless they're biblical. Unless they're biblical. And it might not be golden rings. It might not be that. One of the things that I can commend this church on greatly because we've had a lot of people that have come from recovery houses, drug and alcohol addiction. And I've seen a lot of people come through the door, and you know, it's, they, it's just, you got that cigarette smell all over you, and you hug them anyways. You hug them anyways. And if there's a homeless guy that comes into the church on a Wednesday to get food or clothing, I don't know if you know this or not, Homeless people don't get a lot of hugs, and they might not smell the way you smell, and they might not be as clean as you clean, but you can hug them. And I have, I have no doubt that this is the kind of church that I wouldn't think twice about it. And so I'm very proud to be your pastor. When I read this, I never have to go, that's just like my church we got, we got the fancy people on one side and the unfancy people on the other side. So I want to commend you on that. Last thing, last verse. There is only a few things that we're told about how when we come into the house of God of how we should behave. The last one is in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, and I'm just going to read it for you. And it comes to communion. You know, here at this church, we take communion every week. We do that because the only reason we're able to enter into the presence of God is because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so we want to make sure that we always end every Sunday with remembering what Jesus did on the cross. 1 Corinthians 11.23 has some suggestions when taking communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread. And drink from the cup. So this is in a verse that we don't read a lot, but one of the things it talks about when we take communion. Now, his particular instance is: is you had people that were showing up to communion early because they were hungry and they ate all the bread and didn't leave anybody else for other people, <laughs> right? Uh, or people who would show up for the communal wine and then they would drink too much wine and they would be drunk when it was time for worship, right? Luckily, we're not having that particular problem, right? Praise God! See how far the church has come. Um, but what it does say is that we should take time to examine our hearts. I, I, have to, I have to, before I come in here and preach, I have to spend time in my office examining my heart because I'm terrified of preaching a sermon that gives me glory and, and not God. Right? I'm terrified of doing anything to try to make myself look good or make people like me more than they like God. Like, that, that's, that's scary when you stand up here. It's easy to become a glory thief. And so I have to examine my heart on the sermon that I wrote. Is the stories I'm going to tell, are they exaggerated for my benefit? Right? Is, is it got a lot of jokes in there so that you're laughing and having a good time and everybody likes me? Or is my main focus to make God known? I want to examine my heart. Here's the beautiful thing, and I'll end with this. You can examine your heart before you come to church and before you take communion and not be afraid that God's going to hate you. No matter what you find. So you can examine your heart and you can find some ugly stuff. You can find some painful stuff. But because our high priest understands all of it, no matter what I find when I examine my heart, I can lay at his feet and he still loves me. Isn't God good?